Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. Judging from the emails that I get and the clients that I see, many of you are looking for more information about how to repair a relationship after something big like infidelity has happened. How do you repair trust? How do you get your relationship from a place that can feel like total chaos through to the other side where you have a new sense of possibility and vitality in your connection and what's happened is just a distant memory? Today's guest is Terry Real. You may remember him from episode four on advanced relationship jujitsu. He's the author of the book, The New Rules of Marriage, What You Need to Know to Make Love Work, founder of Relational Life Therapy and internationally known couples expert and family therapist. Terry Real has also partnered with Esther Perel for trainings on the topic of recovering from infidelity, which is one reason why I thought he'd be a great guest expert on this topic. So on today's show, we're going to revisit the topic of infidelity, which we also covered in episode 36 with Janice Abrams Spring, and tackle exactly what steps are involved in how to repair after an affair. A couple housekeeping things I also wanted to mention. For those of you who are listening right when this episode comes out, you should know that Terry and Esther Perel have also teamed up for a new online course called The Power of Intimacy. The course explores the influence of power dynamics on the passion in a relationship and how to come back into a healthy, vibrant balance when things are out of whack. The course was designed primarily for couples therapists, and I know a lot of you listening to the show do work with couples and might be interested. I also got a sneak peek at the course, and I think there's a lot of good stuff there for you, even if you're not a therapist and simply interested in advancing your skills and relationship. For more information, you can use the link neilsatin.com power, and that will take you to their site. And if you do happen to buy their course, a portion of the course fee will help support the podcast. If you're interested in their course and don't necessarily want to support the podcast, you can just visit powerofintimacy.com directly. But if you'd like to support the podcast, do go through neilsatin.com slash power. Um, both of those links will be available on the detailed show notes page for this episode, which you can find at neilsatin.com slash terry2. That's T-E-R-R-Y for Terry Real and the number two. Or as always, and I hope I'm not overwhelming you here, you can text the word PASSION to the number 33444, follow the instructions, and I'll email you a link to a page that has all of the show notes for all of the episodes, including this one. The course enrollment is only open for a few more days because it includes live calls with Terry and Esther Perel, so if you're interested, check it out before they close the doors. One last thing. It's summer. And I live in Maine, so every year when the temperature soars above 60, it can feel like a miracle. I'm going to do my best to keep this a weekly show, especially for you loyal listeners, but that might mean getting creative with the content here and there, since many of my guests are also taking summer breaks, and a little more difficult to track down. However, if I miss a week here and there, don't despair. This podcast isn't going anywhere. After all, we were recently named one of the top 10 relationship podcasts by Women's Health Magazine. That couldn't have happened without you, 
You're helping getting the word out and keeping the ideas coming for interesting episodes. And there are definitely some interesting, useful episodes coming, including this one. So, okay, enough from me. I'm so excited to have Terry Reel back on the show to share more of his advanced relational wisdom with us. Terry, thank you so much for coming back to join us here on Relationship Alive. Oh, you're welcome, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to dive right in to a topic that I've gotten a lot of emails about, which is that of couples who are struggling with how to rebuild a relationship and and specifically to repair trust and um, and come back to a place of intimacy after there's been a breach in the trust of the relationship through some form of infidelity. And that could be mm. something like a full-blown affair that's lasted years, or it could be something as simple as mm. someone texting an old flame or friending, you know, their their ex-girlfriend on Facebook and having a little chat with them, but but which can feel like an emotional affair to to the other partner. So um I know that mm-hmm. that you've done a lot of this kind of work, um, repair work with couples, and mm-hmm. I'm curious to get your thoughts on where a couple really needs to start when there's been a breach of trust. And it, maybe it's even worth talking about how do they know if it's worth even trying to repair? Well, okay, so let, let's let's start with some definitions. Um, infidelity, uh, as far as I'm concerned, requires two things. Uh, there is a transgression. Uh, there's a betrayal of some kind. And uh, there's deceit about it. So those are the two aspects that make for infidelity. You know, and nowadays people are having all sorts of interesting new marital arrangements, but we have a, um, we're drawn as a species, I think, toward transgression. So you have an open marriage uh, for everybody but my closest friends, and then guess what happens? Or uh, you can sleep with anybody as long as they're 50 miles away from our hometown, and guess what happens? So even in uh, really elastic uh, situations, people will um, move toward infidelity. Infidelity can be sexting, it can be... Uh, as you say, recontacting an old flame. It's in secret. It's uh, a violation of um, either an explicit or implicit contract. Uh, and it's covered over. So if you have those elements, then you're involved with an infidelity. I don't, Neil. And I have to say that my uh, association with Esther Perel, uh, who's marvelous, if I really would invite everybody to come to that, that course. It's still open and very beginning of it. Um, one of the things, one of the pages that I took from her book is I don't make a distinction between emotional affairs and sexual affairs. Uh, you can have a, a very uh, intensely 
uh, eroticized experience by just touching someone's hand or anticipating the next phone call. So um, whether it's physical or whether it's um, uh, it's mostly in the mind, it's still in the body, and I don't think that that's a big um, a big difference for people. Uh, it's some people think it's easier to come back from an emotional affair than a frankly physical affair, perhaps, but it's all erotic, uh, no matter what you want to call it. Um, once there has been this transgression and deceit, uh, what you have to understand is that the hurt partner uh, has been traumatized. And what trauma means is that the basic assumptions that you don't even think about are the ones that the rug has been pulled out from under you. You know, you lean against the wall and you go right through it. Uh, Solid is not to be relied upon anymore. And so most hurt partners have this feeling of being kind of screwed in the mind. The reality has been messed with. And it comes down to things like, so last Thanksgiving when you were said you were in Chicago, you were really with her in New York, weren't you? And um, so the first thing to understand is that this is a, a very assaultive experience uh, for the hurt partner. And what gets assaulted is the fundamental sense of reality and trust. Um, that, that is the essence of what it's like to be on the receiving end of an, of an infidelity. Now, the question is how to come back from that shattering. And uh, first of all, some good news, even without couples therapy, uh, most people do survive, most couples survive an infidelity. It's about two-thirds of couples uh, remain together after an infidelity. And uh, I think that those odds are greatly increased if you have good therapy. Here are some of the steps. The first order of business, I, I talk about um, two phases in recovering from infidelity. Sir and Tammy Nelson talk about three phases. Uh, it, it's all pretty much the same. But where we agree is the first phase is the acute phase. And it's really dealing with the trauma. It's really dealing with the fresh, raw hurt uh, and insecurity that comes after the discovery. Uh, and the second phase is more of a understanding of not what happened, but the meaning of what happened. What did the affair mean to you and what did the affair do to you? Uh, and this phase, if you want to separate into three phases, is revisioning the relationship. You know, the art is to not just have couples survive uh, an infidelity, but to have the relationship in many ways reconfigured and even transformed through this crisis. So, um, trust is a big word. When I am talking to uh, couples about trust, uh, I'm very clear with them that it's not an on-off switch. It's not black and white. 
It's not like I had trust and now I don't. In real, you may have had a naive trust, uh, and a naive trust is trusting your partner implicitly in all things at all times, which is not real. Uh, what I say to people is, my wife trusts me to be monogamous. Uh, my wife did not trust me to pick up the kids on time, nor should she, because I'm often late. People trust each other in some areas and don't trust each other in other areas. People are imperfect. And this. so let's not start off by idealizing this uh, sort of sainted state of absolute trust in your partner. It doesn't work like that. And... Um, yeah, do you have, yeah, I, it just makes me think that um, I'm wondering if you have hints for people on how to clarify their agreements in their relationship, what they're actually trusting the other partner for. Yeah, well, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, monogamy is assumed in American culture for the most part, and people are not explicit about what the arrangements are unless they're going to make other arrangements. Um, but it's, monogamy in these days should be more clearly defined. It, does it include texting? Does it include, um, you know, what exactly does it include? And one general rule that I have about all sexual behavior, I, I'm not going to talk about what's fidelity and what's infidelity, but I will talk about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And what's appropriate are, are behaviors um, uh, with the other sex if you're heterosexual, uh, behaviors that a reasonable partner would observe and overhear uh, without getting whacked out about it. If a reasonable partner would see what you're doing and be very upset by what you're doing, it's not appropriate. So that's the first line. Yeah, and that seems like a great uh, way for someone to hold themselves in check. You know, like you almost well, don't, you don't well, need to necessarily be explicit um, if you're holding yourself to that standard. Yeah, and... Um, the other thing that it does is it, it, it provides some clarity for the uh, person who's vulnerable to acting out in some uh, unfaithful ways. One, one of the things I talk to the um, the involved partner about is if you think about these things happening as concentric circles. You know, you're on a plane, you're sitting next to a pretty woman. That's like the the widest concentric circle. Then you strike up a friendly conversation, quote-unquote friendly, and you're just chatting about, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Okay, you've moved the concentric circle in. And then it gets more intimate in your sharing. You move another concentric circle in. Then you find out where they're staying. And, you know, by the time you and that person are alone in either your or their hotel room, you're in, to, you're in very deep, and it's hard to stop. So I talk to people about at the first concentric circle or the second concentric circle. If I'm on an airplane and a pretty woman is sitting next to me and we strike up a conversation, that's fine. But in fair order, I'm going to be talking about my wife and my kids. And if that doesn't get the message across, uh, I'm going to show her some pictures of my wife and kids. It's like shop is closed. 
And people can discern that. People can discern. You can be having the same exact conversation with somebody, and you look in their eyes, and shop is closed. And you, you have the same exact conversation with somebody else, you look in their eyes, and shop is open. So um, you know whether you're transmitting that message or not, and there are ways to back somebody off if they're not getting the picture. Uh, so that, that's that. But let's go back to the issue of rebuilding trust once yes. it's broken. Yes, yes. So I do believe, uh, unlike some of the other people working with infidelity, I do believe in what I call reassuring behaviors, uh, as long as they're moderate and not too crazy. I do believe in, for example, once a week, once every 10 days, you and the partner can go over their email together. Uh, you and the partner can go over their text. You have access to their passwords for all their transparent, open kimono. Um, but I don't believe that you should be able to raid your partner's email or text whenever you feel like it. It needs to be, there needs to be some sense of uh, boundaries here with, with this. But I do believe that in reassuring behaviors, for example, um, if you're the wife of a guy who cheated for years whenever he was on a business trip, uh, I have a guy like that. Uh, give the wife the phone number of the room he's in and let her call. Uh, take a picture of you in the hotel where you say you are and text it to her. Uh, there are things you do as long as they're reasonable. Now, some of them move beyond the level of moderation and reasonableness. And this, this is where a therapist can be very useful. I had a gal whose husband was in real estate uh, in uh, in Miami, Florida, and um, she didn't want him to be driving around his mistress's, his ex-mistress's neighborhood. Uh, that was too triggering for her. So uh, that seemed fine. I said, what neighborhood is that exactly? And she said, the greater Miami metropolitan district. <laughs> <laughs> Guy was in real estate, right? <laughs> it's like, no, I don't think you're going to get that one. <laughs> So I, 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 people can go overboard with this sort of thing, but uh, a, a reasonable amount of reassurance in, in my book is, is okay. A reasonable amount of clarification about when you said you were here, were you really there, is okay. Uh, uh, peppering the partner with uh, detailed questions about their sexual encounter you know, uh, I take that with a large uh, caveat. Uh, I, I ask the person, do you really need this information? What is this information going to do to, for you? What is this information going to do to you? And who cares, ultimately? Um, the, these are not um, the questions that are going to really transform the situation. Uh, Esther talks about moving from uh, what does she call them? Moving from detective questions to investigative questions. Detective questions were, how many times did you do it? Did you do it this way? Did you use this position? And investigative questions are, what did it mean to you? What parts of you woke up? Did you think about me and the kids? Uh, did you think that you might get discovered? Really trying to understand what went on. And at some point, Detective questions need to move into a more um, deeper exploration. But the first phase is just getting through the trauma. 
And that first phase has a few parts to it. The, it's very critical and often does not happen, particularly without therapy, that the involved partner is accountable. Yes, I did it. No ifs, ands, or buts. No excuses. No ragged disclosures where you squeak out a little and then you realize you're going to get busted, so you squeak out a little more. Tell the whole truth and uh, show some remorse. Not necessarily for the infidelity, because you may not be sorry if the experience of the infidelity. You may be in love with the person you were unfaithful with. They may have been one of the most important relationships of your life. So not necessarily you're sorry for the affair of the infidelity, but you're sorry for the damage that it's caused. And you're sorry for the hurt that uh, this person that you love has been subject to. That's where the remorse comes in. And the... Um, the involved partner needs to land in that space and be clear about it. Once that happens, uh, and once the assurances are in place, and once some of the reassuring behaviors are in place, it's the therapist's job, if you're uh, a therapist in this situation, to really be a container, uh, to just hold the couple, to normalize all of their feelings. People get quite crazy. Uh, when they're on the other end, uh, the receiving end of an affair. People stay up late, can't sleep, can't eat. It's drama. Um, throw up, uh, can't have sex, or want sex all the time. Uh, it's really a very extreme situation. I, I, I loved, I don't know if you got to see it, I highly recommend for anybody who's been through this, uh, this situation to watch Beyonce's Lemonade. But... Um, that when she opens it up, she's coming out of a building like a church or a courthouse or something big and massive, and she opens up these big wooden doors, and all this flooding water comes out. It's like a flood. And that is the experience of the hurt partner. It's just a flood of uh, contradictory and raw and powerful emotions. And the job in that first phase is just to survive it to normalize it and bear it and know that it will get better. Um, like any other trauma, if it's really on the extreme end, if you can't sleep or eat or whatever, a little medication might be helpful. Um, there's a technique called EMDR, which is good for trauma people, that if somebody has a lot of obsessing about the sexual scenes, for example, and can't get them out of their mind, uh, there are some trauma techniques that can help the hurt partner. But at the end of the day, what reestablishes trust is the accountability of the involved partner and the sense that this partner has learned something through the relationship. You know, the hurt partner has two questions. How could you do this to me? Like, literally, how could you do it? Like, you love me. You say you love me. How could you be with another person and betray me like that while you love me? It's like, it's hard to wrap your brain around it. So, like, what were you thinking? How did this work for you? How could you have done this to me? And two is, how do I know you're not going to do it again? Those are the two aching questions for the her partner. And the how could you do it to me is those kind of de detective questions. What were you thinking? What did it mean? Uh, did you think you were going to get caught? And the how do I know you're not going to do it again is complicated. Um, the real bottom line answer is you don't. 
trust is provisional. And you may never have that uh, blanket blind trust that you had in your naive phase. That doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is, is a bad relationship. It just means that you're older and wiser and more experienced. Um, but there's a reasonable amount of trust. Uh, you know, I trust that when I go home, my wife is going to be there and we're going to have dinner together. The reality is that she could step off a curb and be run over by a bus, but I don't think that in my day-to-day. So the bottom line is um, relationships are dangerous and I don't believe in the sanctity of a quote-unquote safe relationship, but it's safe enough that you're not in a state of threat all the time. And that level of trust gets reestablished because you feel like the person has grown, that the person understands what happened to him or her, that uh, whatever characterological issues in the personality of the person, like, for example, entitlement or narcissism or selfishness, are being dealt with, that whatever the relationship issues are that may have contributed, distance, fighting, whatever, have been dealt with, and that you and your partner are in a different place. And there's a lot of understanding, and marriage, in many ways, has been transformed. That's where the real trust comes from. It's not from hiring a detective to follow the person. It's the feeling in your gut that this is a different person than the person who acted out. What, um, yeah, I, I really love that because I can see how when a, a couple is in that third stage of basically re, I think you called it revisioning your, their, their relationship, that, um, that at that point they're able to see the landscape and, and it becomes maybe part of their shared history. Like, wow, we survived that. And now look at yeah. where we are. So it. So they're in a yeah. place where they can see the gift of it. Or you can see, like, if if your partner is the one who was struggling with um, truth-telling and integrity, now to be able to see them as someone who stands um, stands strong for what they believe and, mm-hmm. and is fully transparent and honest with you, um, mm-hmm. it, it can become a huge gift when you get to that place. Right. And, you know, it's sort of like, uh, is a heart attack a gift? I mean, well, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. On the other hand, uh, all of a sudden you're exercising, you're eating well, and you're nicer to your wife and kids. So in a way it is. It's, it's a, you know, as a family therapist, Neil, the uh, difference between a crisis and a transformation is the outcome. Mm. All transformation begins with crisis. All transformation begins with the breaking of the old system. And then either it dissolves and you don't have that system anymore, or it reconfigures and you have something very different on your hands. And I think it's the job of people who've been through this horrible storm to not just hold on for dear life or move into chronic bitterness or anger or mistrust. I think it's the job to use this as a catalyst to really look deeply at yourself, deeply at your partner, deeply at the relationship, and change things up substantially. Uh, That's what the people that I work with do, and they do. So along those lines, what's the... What's the balance between exploring the meaning of, well, 
why did this happen? What, you know, why did we grow so far apart? Or what's the context for that allowed for um, something to to occur? And you know, where it verges into like blaming the victim, like because you know th- that that dance between there there's it takes two to tango, and you know what I mean. As a couples therapist, I don't believe in the concept of provocation. Uh, you're responsible for what you do on your side of the seesaw. And the idea of uh, you provoked me uh, is a way of saying you're responsible for what I choose to do. It's like, I don't care how provocative the sentence was before you hit your partner, you're responsible for choosing to hit them. And I don't care how bad the relationship is before you act it out, uh, you're responsible for the way you chose to shake things up, and I don't condone what you did. So it's uh, it's it's not an either or; it's a both end. I I might say to somebody, yeah, this relationship needed to be shaken up, and that's not the way I would have you do it. So both of those things are true. Yeah, yeah. So um, so I can see how that's delicate because when you get to that question of this relationship did need to be shaken up, now you're going back to, well, here's the dynamic that the two of you were in that, that was unhealthy. So, uh, so it's a, if that's true, not all affairs are uh, the result of an unhappy relationship. Some affair, I, I talk about three kinds of affairs. There's relational affairs in which the person's reacting to a bad relationship. There are personality affairs in which the person is acting out some sort of immaturity or, frankly, narcissism. Uh, and then there are what I call existential affairs where the relationship is really lovely and both people are relatively mature people. But you know what? Life is short and people have affairs. What can I tell you? And so I, I, I make no assumptions about what's going on until I actually meet the people and get to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and I can see how each of those are going to have a different course of action associated with them. That's exactly right. So if it has to do with image, like I have uh, guys, this is mostly guys, who have what I call frat boy affairs. And these are guys, usually young, who just haven't figured out what it means to be married yet. They're still out drinking with their buddies and screwing around. And, but they've got a wife and kid at home. And it's like, okay, that's got little to nothing to do with the relationship in the marriage. It has everything to do with the level of immaturity of the person who's having the affair. So that's what I call a, a, a personality affair. Then there are affairs that really come out of horrible relationships Women in particular will have affairs toward the end of a relationship when they're completely fed up with their husband. Uh, and then there are relationships that are just, gee, I don't know. It looked good at the time, and I was weak, and it was stupid, and I'm sorry. And that's all there is to it, which uh, are in some ways the hardest to get over because if it's just your humanity that caused the affair, then how in the world are you not going to do it again? Uh, but they're very different, and they demand different approaches, all three of these. I'm curious for your take on the question of um, getting back to restoring trust 
and you said that trust it's it ends up being uh, a dynamic that there's no absolute trust over over time and i also think that there's this strange dynamic that comes up where um the person who's been let's say lied to how do they know it's like how can they know that they are actually hearing the full truth when they've they already don't. been lied to yeah they don't i mean in very very extreme circumstances with with bad sex addicts uh i will uh, refer them to a polygraph uh and the, um one of the things i say with with severe sex addiction is that uh, lie detector tests are to sex addiction as random drug testing is to drug addiction. Uh, so when it's really, if you've got really compulsive behavior that's gone on for a long time, uh, then um, I, I literally have people take lie detector tests once every six months or so. Um, but it, stepping down from that, because that's really quite extreme, you don't know. You can, you can have some reassurance if the person says I'm going to be in X hotel, you can uh, call them at that hotel uh, with their permission and be reassured in that way. But at the end of the day, your sense of trust will come from appreciating that the unfaithful partner has learned about why they did what they did and is no longer in the same place. That's where the trust comes from. And you feel that in your gut. Yeah. And that's a sign that you're at that new place in your in your relationship, I think. Yeah, and if you're having trouble getting there, let me. Um, I'm going to have to go in a minute, but let me uh, let me say this as a final thought. Thank you. Um, I, I would like to see most people who are struggling with coming back from infidelity getting some kind of help. Uh, it's it's a very tough thing to do on your own. If you feel like you're doing it. And you are healing and it's going okay, then fine. Uh, but a great many people have a hard time. And it's really useful to just have somebody outside of the system, an objective third party, uh, to just hold it and give you reality checks and give you feedback and give you guidance. So if you're really struggling, don't be uh, ashamed or don't uh, take good care of yourself and good care of the relationship. It's worth it. And get some help. And get some help that really helps. You may have to go through a couple, three people until you find a therapist that's really going to be helpful to you. Great. And do you, on your site, relationallife.com, you probably have a directory of people who've been certified in your, your approach? I do. People all over the country in most major cities now uh, just go to terryreal.com. That's the simplest way to get to the website. Terryreal.com, and uh, there's a there's a button on how to find a therapist and a map, and it, it will it will show you that. I also, in parting, want to again invite uh, all of the listeners uh, to uh, our course, uh, the Power of Intimacy. There are five uh, recorded classes that you can download and listen to whenever you want. I did one live class last week, which was lovely, um, and that's been recorded, and we have one, two, three more live classes uh, that are uh, in the pipeline. So there's a lot going on. It's just called The Power of Intimacy, and um, 
people have enjoyed you've been listening to it right i have yeah in in preparation for this conversation though we didn't really talk about anything that's in the course per se but um it's it's been a really amazing deep dive into the the dynamics of um what creates intimacy in a relationship and power structures in a relationship and and how to shift power structures so that there's more balance and more spark and passion. Yeah, more balance and more spark and passion. That's a nice note to end on. <laughs> I'm, I'm voting for that. Both more balance and more passion. Great. Well, we will have links to Terry's site and to the Power of Intimacy course um, on the page for this episode, which will be neilsatin.com slash Terry two because i think we have a terry one from the first time you were on so t-e-r-r-y two or you can always text the word passion to the number three three four 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 and follow the instructions which will get you to the episode the show notes page and we'll get you the links um to all of the places that we've talked about so terry thanks again for coming back on relationship alive it's always a pleasure to chat with you and you're such a gift to the world of learning how to do things relationally. Oh, thank you, Neil. That's great. I, I always love chatting with you, and um, I'll see you at Terry 3 at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com podcast. Or you can always text the word passion P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.